0: Welcome back to our spin off mini series. In part two, we move into Bannerman Road and stumble across the Sarah Jane adventures. You're listening to Splendor Chaps. The first part of this episode was recorded live at the Vela Union at Trades Hall in Melbourne on the 12th of February 2017. Your hosts, Ben McKenzie, John Richards, and myself, Petra Elliott. We're joined by George Ivanov and Dr. Joiny Baker. The Sarah Jane Adventures, 2007 to 2011. I feel like you want to applaud. Yeah. <laughs> Investigative journalist Sarah Jane Smith, with the help of her adopted son, his friends, and an intelligent supercomputer, combats evil alien forces here on Earth. Spin-off elements included Sarah Jane Smith, K9, The Brigadier, Joe Grant, Sontarans, The Slovene, and both the 10th and 11th Doctor's five series.
1: George, you've written an awful lot for children. What's your take on Sarah Jane Adventures?
2: I, I think Sarah Jane Adventures is probably the most successful of, of the spin-offs. I think it, it hits its target audience really well. I think it works really well. I think it manages this um, really difficult task of being both modern and old-fashioned as, as a TV show. Old, old-fashioned in that uh, your main character is an adult, um, but modern in that it's very fast-paced, like uh, modern-day um, children's shows are. So I think it, it straddles that line very well. And even though Sarah Jane is the main character, the kids have got the younger characters to view her, uh, to view through their eyes, I guess. And in and in fact, the the show in the pilot gets introduced through one of the young characters, basically. So I think it I think it works. Um, really well. It also does I think very well in covering a lot of um, grown-up contexts, uh, gr- grown-up um, themes within the context of a children's show. Uh, it, it's very emotional, it's, it's exciting, um, it's utterly heartbreaking at times. Uh, yeah, the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith I mean, I finished that episode in tears going, is she never going to be happy? Are they <laughs> determined to make her unhappy for the rest of her life? It was heartbreaking. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. Enjoy Me?
3: I love this show too. And, and I've come as um, Barbara Smith from one of my favourite episodes from the show. Um, and I, what's interesting about that episode is that Sarah Jane can't resist the temptation of meeting her own parents who she's never met because they died when she was young. And it's Luke. It's a young character who is is trying to caution her, who is the the voice of reason um, rather than the adult. So um, even though you have this adult character from, and she's very much the focus of this episode, um, it's turning the tables of some of those roles of, of what an adult's supposed to do. The adult is you know, supposed to be the leader and is supposed to be responsible, supposed to be kind of guiding the teens. But in this episode, it's the teens trying to guide her. And, and her doing what a, a young person normally does is we to ignore them completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and of course she has to because otherwise we don't get an episode. Um, and, you know, just... From pure nostalgia, I love this show. So I think it's, it's pitched beautifully for that younger audience, as you say, it has those adult concepts, but it doesn't, doesn't overwear them, um, doesn't make them too complicated... Um, but for those of us coming back to it, I mean, Sarah Jane was always my, my absolute favourite companion as a child um, growing up. And so just to spend more time with that character and feel like it is still that character, feel that it, it is enough Sarah Jane that it still feels like Sarah Jane. Um, yes, yeah, so I love this show.
1: One of the comments I found, this is a quote from Gareth Roberts, who was one of the main writers on the show. And it was interesting, because my my feelings for James, is that I think it's a really, really well-made children's show, but somehow still was very much a children's show like it didn't mm-hmm. feel to me like it, it ever became the family show for example that other shows might have, be, have become in a similar situation and I found this quote from uh, Gareth Roberts saying we're all determined this will be a big full-blooded drama that no one will ever think of it as just a children's program which was exactly what I was thinking of it as mm. a- am I wrong do you think it does it transcend the the genre oh, it's from look I don't know I don't know that it necessarily does. I think, it's, I think you're right in saying that it's a really, really
4: good children's show. And I think the hallmark of a really good children's show is it doesn't treat children as idiots and talk yeah. down to them. It recognises that the audience, even though they're younger, um, understand a lot of stuff, go through a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, the, the children in the show are high school age, and high school is one of the most stressful times of most people's lives. And this show deals with a lot of those stresses. And a lot of the emotional content, while there is certainly some that for us... Who identify with Sarah Jane because we're older, because we have a history with the character um, is about her. There's an awful lot of emotional stuff going on for those kids. Yeah. Like my favorite one well, I really love all the characters in the show, but I really like Clyde Langer, he's a great character, who becomes really the audience identification character after the pilot when he comes in. And later seasons, he's the one who introduces every episode. Yeah. And he has like he's got a whole thing where you know his parents are split up, um, his dad is clearly, if not Actually abusive than at least very unpleasant, Um, and the the few episodes where you see him come back are really like they punched me right in the feels. To use the term that the kids use Uh,
3: (laughs) seems appropriate.
4: Um, Getting
3: down with the pilots.
4: Yeah, Uh, I I used that. I don't know why I tried to play that off as something (laughs) the kids would say. But you know I felt a lot of feelings about that, and and you know also there's the episode in the last season or, or the second last season where he's cursed by these weird aliens and all his friends forsake him and he ends up homeless mm-hmm. and it doesn't like flinch away from saying like homeless people like have made some bad life choices like no like things can happen to you and you end up homeless and you just have to deal with it and it's awful and they, they really dealt with it in a really sensitive but also quite full-on way. So I think, yeah, it's not necessarily an adult show, but it's a really good quality Although, children's uh, show.
1: That said, I mean, again, you were mentioning before, so there's the one with Jane Asher, I think, you know, who plays, uh, is it Whatever Happened to Sarah Jane? And basically uh, a childhood friend had drowned when yeah. they were kids no. and yeah. time is swapped so that Sarah Jane was only drowned. And I think particularly the fact that the guest actor is selling it so well that it's, it's quite... It's a, that thing where, again, we're saying it's not quite for kids because kids probably, it's based on, it's an older person's experience mm. and the idea of losing your history. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of interesting that you could do those episodes mm. in between the others.
3: Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you don't think it works as a, a family show because I was having a conversation with um, another, a colleague and, and mother about what age do you start letting your kids watch these shows? Now, I was watching Doctor Who very young because my older brother was watching it and I certainly didn't want to be the one who admitted that they were scared. So I would be watching it behind the couch through fingers, but I was not going to admit that I was scared. So very young. And I think Sarah Jane Adventures is a really good entry point into this world. I know we weren't going to compare it to the rest of them, but I'm going to. Um, but but it is, is one that maybe Who fans might watch off their bat on their own. But I think parents would watch with their kids um, of a certain age as they start to watch... More complex material, like the tweeny age, where, where they they're old enough to be going through some of these um, social problems at school, old enough to um, to know to either be in a um, a divorced family or no friends with a divorced family, to see homeless people on the street and ask their mum and dad about well why are they there? Who are those people? Why are they there? Um, they're becoming aware of the world. Uh, and they're really interested in a show like this but might actually want to talk to someone about it afterwards Mm -hmm. in the context of their own lives and and unpack it.
1: One thing I was thinking about earlier, I was going to ask you what it tells us about the time we're in but one of the things I noticed with Sarah Jane looking back is that there's a there's a, a, a very very you know well established trope in children's books about the, the kids know something they can't share with the parents you know they know about a secret group or they know about mm-hmm. a secret invasion no one believes them one thing I really like about Sarah Jane is that uh, the kids <coughs> usually get a point to tell their parents and mm-hmm. the parents eventually understand and then help or they get to tell their friends who then understand and help there seems to be a bit of a theme of going if something terrible is happening to you please do tell your loved ones mm-hmm. they will help you and I think for any oh. child there's that, that, a message for children that's amazing to go, yeah. no, really, don't keep the secrets.
2: Well, in a, in a lot of children's shows and, and children's books, uh, adult characters are often portrayed as either the villains or or the the unimportant ones who aren't part of the scene, the ones that kids have to get away from in order to solve their problems. And and what I think is one of the really good things about Sarah Jane is that it doesn't do that. The, the adults are actually real characters.
3: Well, so that kind of... Um... Disney trope, um, I took my daughter to see Moana and she came out and said, that was a great movie. And I said, oh yeah, why is it great? And she said, well, one, they didn't kill the mother and two, she didn't have any romantic interests. And, and I, I thought, you know, for an 11-year-old that was really astute because often they, they do kill off the parental figures mm-hmm. so that the, it gives you a narrative excuse for the kids to work it out by themselves and, and go on on some adventure or other. Um, yeah, or that the adults are completely ineffectual, and you wouldn't never bother going to them in the first place. But the other thing is that not only can you tell an adult and uh, or other people, but you will be believed.
1: Yes, I think the, you will be believed is the important yeah. bit, which is. Mm. And I, I wonder if that's because I was going to say, what does it tell us about the time it's made? And that is perhaps the one thing, because so many children's. Um, uh, stories, you know, in back, back to literature have been based on the fact that if the child does tell someone they won't be believed. Mm. You know, yeah. even if you look at something like Sesame Street, for example, that, you know, Big Bird for years had Mrs. Snuffleupagus, and no one believed he was real. And one of the reasons they actually changed that in the thing, so they didn't want kids to be in a situation where they felt they couldn't tell their parents important things mm. and not be believed. Mm. So, yeah, and I wondered if that was a sign of the times. Yeah. But what else do we learn from, from now by watching Sarah Jane?
4: I think one of the really important and great things about it is the lots of different um, relationships that you see, like, and even things just like, you know, what are people's parents like? Because Maria's parents are divorced... They still get along, but you also instantly can see that they should not be married to each other, <laughs> right? And, and also, I just want to give a shout-out to Alan, Maria's dad, because he is the best dad on television ever. <laughs> I love him so much, and, as, uh, th- and that makes me very happy uh, to see that. But, um, but, yeah, he's so good. And then, you know, you have Clyde's parents who are split up, and that's a very different situation. Mm. And then you have Rani's parents when she comes in and replaces um, Maria. And her parents are still together and have a very different dynamic again. Um, And all of them have different dynamics with each other. And then Sarah-Jane and Luke have a very weird kind of thing going on. So I think that's one of the show's really great strengths too is it has all these variety of people's life experiences.
2: There is a lot of diversity in terms of the the characters in the show. Um, You know, we've we've got racial diversity in in the main cast. Uh, We've had what that... and, And had it continued beyond you know, the first half of the fifth season, we would have found out that Luke was gay, so... what yeah. oh, a missed opportunity. It was, I mean, it was a deter- because they started to hint at it already with him talking about that friend at university, and then in the second half, it was already scripted. He was going to reveal that that friend was his boyfriend. Oh. Man, so I, it's really sad that that didn't happen. Yeah, I feel,
4: I feel I didn't know that, and now I feel a very deep and real disappointment because I because I love that I love all the characters. I don't think there's any dud characters in in Sarah Jane. I think it's another one of its great strengths.
1: In and. Yeah, I think that would have been so great. Could that
0: have been a spin-off of a spin-off in itself?
1: Well, they did talk about what to do. Because, mm. you, know, I mean, you know, your lead actor dies halfway through a season. What do you do? There were still episodes scripted where to be filmed. Mm. And and I think there was that discussion. Because, you know, what do you do? Especially when she's that loved. Mm. And eventually they had to go... The show will just end. It will They'd just end halfway through a season. The arcs will just stop. Well, they then replaced it with um, Wizards vs. Aliens. And, and so. one of the episodes was actually rewritten. I'm curious how I discovered that Wizards of Aliens includes one episode that was written for Sarah Jane Adventure season five and was oh, then really? retooled for the new show. So it, it, it went on. I think it would have been really, really awkward to replace her with another character, seeing as they'd,
4: they'd so frequently had stories about that happening. <laughs> including, like,
1: in the last... It's, uh, it's
4: either the fourth or fifth season, where they have the one where this, like, new, like, cooler woman shows up fighting aliens, and right. Sarah's, like, starts to have this um, disease where she's losing her memories and stuff, and it's really, like, about, you know, what happens when you get dementia, and, like, you start to lose your faculties, it's so difficult to deal with. But it all turns out to be, you know, of course, an alien plot. But... that was a story in which she got replaced by someone else and she sort of went, well, I guess it's my time to stop doing this. You should take over. And I think if they'd actually done that after dealing with that kind of stuff on the show, it would have been really kind of weird. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would have felt about that.
1: Petra, we didn't ask you your thoughts on Sarah Jane.
0: I was just thinking about the comment that possibly Torchwood could have been a children's show and Sarah Jane could have been the adult show. And the relationship between K9 and Mr. Smith, there was some banter and some sass that, oh, if that was an adult show. <laughs> that, I think that would have made me very happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, on that very deep note, um, uh, d- Petra, does it work? Does the show
0: yeah, work? Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: George? Yes, I think it works. I think it works as a show in its own right, and I think it works as part of the Hooniverse. Yeah. Enjoy me?
0: Yeah, I agree.
3: It stands, it stands alone um, on its own. And I think that's a great thing if you have young viewers who would just come to Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, yes, they would get things if they had other knowledge, but they could just watch it on its own and get really excited by it.
1: Excellent.
0: We wanted to have a good look through Sarah Jane's attic. And when Ben said, Mr. Smith, I need you, an old friend answered the call. She's an award-winning writer of science fiction, fantasy, feminist essays and humour, as well as a prolific podcaster. She co-hosts crunchy feminist sci-fi show Galactic Suburbia, international all-women Doctor Who discussion panel Verity, and reads her own sci-fi writing on the solo project Sheep Might Fly. Last time we spoke with her, she told us she didn't want just one female doctor. Now it's time to see how she feels about Sarah Jane stepping up to the plate. She's Tansy Raina roberts
4: Tansy, welcome. Hi. Welcome back to Splendid Chaps after all this time.
0: It's
5: been so long.
4: And, of course, we're talking about the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yes, we are. Uh, which you, in preparation for this podcast, didn't just watch a few episodes. You rewatched the whole thing.
5: Yeah. Well, this is actually a big deal for me because I love... When the show first came out, I was watching it with my eldest daughter who was between the age of around four and six, when it was screening, you know, three and three and six, that sort of age range. Um, when Liz Slayton died, I stopped watching it. Mm. So I didn't even finish the story. I was just like, nope, didn't watch the last season. I bought it on DVD, just couldn't. Uh, so when I started, I thought, well, I'll, I've, I've got to watch the bits I haven't seen. I should probably rewatch. It's been a while. Did the maths, realised that my youngest daughter, who is uh, nearly eight now, uh, she was like less than two. When I stopped watching the show, so of course she'd never got to see it, which felt like a terrible thing that had to be rectified. So we started rewatching it, and one thing led to another, and we watched the whole thing in a week.
4: And when you went back all the way back to the start, so you started at the pilot, the Invasion of the Bane, yeah. the, the sort of double length uh, pilot episode that aired on New Year's Day, way back in two thousand and seven, ten years ago now. So
0: long, hard ago, to believe. So old.
4: I mean, it was it was the first. Uh, it was the well, it wasn't the first spin off. Torchwood came out before that, which was which is a bit amazing, really, when you think about it. It was
5: it was almost the same year though, wasn't it? Or like it was think very, so. they're all very close together. Like suddenly we didn't just have Doctor Who back. Mm. We had two spin off shows and we had Doctor Who confidential. It was this golden age of so much content. It's
4: just so much Doctor Who. These days you get, you know, the extra content that we get is generally online. Stuff yeah. which is interesting, a bit different, but we're getting sidetracked. We're talking about <laughs> the Sarah Jane adventures and we're, we're yep, going yep. all the way back to Invasion of the Bane. Now, that, that set up the kind of whole premise of the show, um, which was to bring back Sarah Jane as the main character of her own show, going on her own adventures, but with a bunch of kids in tow. How did you, like, when you yeah. watched the setup, how did you feel about that?
5: I was completely okay with it. As I said I was watching Doctor Who, uh, the new show, as a parent of a very young child. My, my eldest daughter was born the year that Doctor Who came back. Mm. Uh, So the idea of having something that the kids would be able to watch uh, seemed fine. Like I know that a lot of fans were kind of – there were mixed results. Like some were kind of put off by the fact that it actually was shock horror, a children's show, (laughs) Um, after spending so many years defending Doctor Who as not being a children's show. So there was that, whereas there were others. I know quite a few old school fans who were a bit put off by the new tone of the new version of the show – Found that Sarah Jane Adventures actually hit a lot of those very familiar notes of classic Who. So, yeah, I don't. I didn't have that many expectations going in, except for more Sarah Jane is great. I'd loved the school reunion episode at the time, and I was excited to see more. Though, at the time, and more and more since, I did get very cross at the whole, um, oh, the emphasis on Sarah Jane's life. You know, having somehow missed out on something because she didn't get to hook up with the doctor in the 70s. Like, I I feel that that was a problematic note. And again, the and I was, my memory of the Sarah Jane adventures as a show was it kind of did a lot to repair that in some ways. Yeah. Uh, Not just giving her a family and kids, which of course you don't need to have a full life. And occasionally did suggest that, which is kind of annoying. Um, but it did kind of veer away from that idea that she had been in love with the Doctor and it was more she was really in love with all the stuff she got to do in the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. The first one is very, it's a little bit janky around the edges. It's so it's so hip and modern and now, like it's about a bubble drink and, <laughs> you know, there's that, that sort of very self-conscious length, which, to be honest, is also quite... True of like the first season of New Doctor Who, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I liked it more as the series progressed. Like I liked the um, the original setup, but once I think once Rani joined the group, like around about season two, it mm. really kicks into gear. Yeah, and you have that kind of Luke, Clyde, Rani sort of setup. Um, rewatching, I was surprised how little Maria was in it because it feels like she was sort of the main. Point of view character, yeah. she only really gets one season and a bit.
4: Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, she's hardly she's, in that second season at all before she yeah. leaves.
5: But they are really interesting characters, and also because the other thing I've been sharing with uh, with with Jemima, my seven year old, uh, over the last few months, is we've been reading the Harry Potter books, ah. and it really has that feel. And think about that time, like Harry Potter was pretty big. In um, I mean, not that it's not big now, but it was very, very big at the time. That was the middle. It just the, hit that the sweet like, point of the
4: zeitgeist of Harry really Potter. It really
5: was just that sort of, you know, teenagers, but young teenagers having fairly innocent adventures, but with lots of crash bang, some ethical issues. Getting darker and darker kind of thing yeah. a little
4: bit. Do you think like, I mean, one of the yeah. things with Harry Potter is it really grew up with its audience because obviously Harry and his friends are getting older in every book because it's each one's set a year yes. further in high school. And do you, do you think that Sarah Jane does that? Does it grow up a little bit with the, with the characters and with the audience?
5: I don't think it does. I think it actually remains surprisingly tonally consistent. Like we're told that the characters are ageing up. So occasionally we get these little hit in old... Oh, they're 14 now, they're 15 here. Hey, look, they're now starting to talk about exams and uni. Uh, So they were obviously growing up, but the tone of the show was very consistent to the point where you can really see why they brought in 12-year-old Sky in the last season. Mm. Um, Because, yeah, watching it through, it doesn't... Like, it goes up and down. Some stories are quite dark and some are a lot fluffier. Yeah, But it actually, like, as far as rewatch value, it didn't get noticeably... It didn't change in tone, Mm. which probably ultimately makes it more successful as a media product. Mm. Um, I think there's something very artistic and wonderful about the idea of a, like the series of the Harry Potter books, for instance, it's brilliant if you're reading them as the books are being released. It actually completely sucks if your nine-year-old really gets into them and they're not emotionally ready for the later books because the books are all there now. Uh, from a practical point of view and from a discovering the show now point of view, Mm. I think it's fine that like it never gets particularly adult and I don't think it should. It's really interesting watching it in the wake of class.
4: Yeah, Because
5: like class came out last year and everyone was like, oh, yeah, a teen show, okay, and then watching it's like, oh, a teen show? You mean like Skins, not like Sarah Jane Adventures yeah, yeah. because there's like a big shift in, in – in, so that's really interesting because those kids are the same age as Clyde and Rani. Um,
4: that's, oh, you know. yeah, they start off at that age that yeah. Clyde and Rani sort of end up at, don't they? Yeah, that's they interesting.
5: Do. And in fact they have at least one character who's younger. I think she's 15. Mm. So she's like that's right. season two, season three yeah, age. Yeah. Um, and still yeah. dealing with some so of that same stuff. I find that really fascinating. But I think from a point of view, like, this was really great for me to watch mm-hmm. with with Jemima, with my seven-year-old. My 12-year-old looking at it, like, she enjoyed watching it with us. She wasn't that into it this time around. No. She's actually aged beyond it.
4: Yeah. oh, so, well, yeah. I think it's part of that tradition of children's shows that are four younger kids but the protagonists are teenagers but it's yeah. four kids who are, like, you know, five to ten years old and it's kind of them... You know, it's it's a bit aspirational for them. That's like well, I want yes. I want to go on cool adventures like these kids, but they can't show like five to ten year olds having you know dangerous adventures. So the kids are always a bit older.
5: So, kind of aspirational for the parents too, because it's like you know what I know these kids get into a lot of trouble, but frankly, if those are the teenagers that you end up with, you know, you're doing they, all they're right. Quite good role models without being too preachy about it. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Teenagers. They're the kind of teenagers you'd be quite happy to like have babysit your younger children yeah. because you'd kind of hope that their good attitude would rub off on your kids.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and a good you know what, good parental role models in in there oh, as well.
5: Love the parents, but also like not perfect parental models, yeah. which I found really interesting. Like watching that first season again, uh Maria's mother is such a fascinating character. Yes. Because she's kind of awful. Yeah. And she's kind of terrible as a parent, but she also, like, they've all recognised that she is not, like, the person to be the primary parent. She loves her daughter, but she's, A, not seen as, like, somebody who should really be parenting full-time. B, she's not seen as somebody who should be letting on the secret. Like, the dad, he finds out, like, halfway through, and it's really interesting to see how he takes... Parents being let in on the secret of the adventure is actually one of my favourite tropes. It's one I'm really, really interested (laughs) in now. Yeah. Um, I love the whole thing where they decide that she's not good enough or she's not, like, trustworthy enough that she's not one to be let in on the secret, but she knows anyway. And I love that she gets her hero moment in their last story together at the beginning of season two. Yeah. With the, you know, she takes out a Santarin with her shoe. She secretly remembers what's happened. She's actually a lot more awesome than everybody gave her credit for. Yeah. I like that. But I also really love, like, Maria's dad. He's my favourite. He's great. He's so reliable. He's funny. Um, And I really like how they set up, because the thing about perfect, imperfect parental models, Sarah Jane, as a new parent who has this freshly born, you know, 13-year-old she has to learn to deal with, Mm. watching Maria and her dad and how they interact, and she's like, how do I get from here to there? because she and Luke have this awkwardness where he doesn't know how to human, like, at all. <laughs> yeah, that's And right. she doesn't know how to be a parent, and they're figuring it out together, which is a lovely story. Like, I love that about their story, that they're kind of both figuring these things out new, but they look at Maria and her dad, who are just, like, kind of buddies as well as... And they've got all these in-jokes, and they tease each other, and they're so relaxed, and they don't even think about... Yeah. ..how good their relationship is. So actually seeing that Sarah Jane struggles a bit with the parenting she doesn't always make the right choices and she's learning that makes her such an interesting role model cuz that's i mean that's the thing that's a bit different about the show it's not just that this is a show for kids that has older kids for them to aspire to mm. you've got Sarah Jane as a hero who is a woman she was 59 i think when they like started the show yeah
4: i think that's right so she's
5: an, a much older woman she's a grandmother rather than a motherly age figure though she's not the granny type like she's she pres- she's re- described as glamorous
4: yeah and I, uh, I find her very yeah. youthful in the show i mean i, I mean I know so, she's yeah. around sixty, but you don't you, she doesn't behave like an old person in quotation no. marks you know
5: she's full of she's full of um full of energy she's full of enthusiasm she's always curious and looking for new things she has these really lovely friendships with all the young people in the show. Like, she's the cool adult that you kind of take your problems to if you're not quite ready to tell your parents about it. Yeah. Like, that kind of... She's such a great... Such a great figure. But what's really interesting is when she is suffering, when she's vulnerable, when she's under attack is when she starts to look a little bit old mm. or a little bit frail. Yeah. Uh, the the one that I've really found hard to watch this time around is the season finale of season four, which, as I said, I stopped watching her halfway through because she died. Uh, because that's one where she's kind of taken over. Um, she loses her strength. She starts losing her memory and she actually thinks she's like, seriously, this is it. She's officially becoming an old person. Yeah. She can't do what she should. And she deals with this by, like, I'm leaving my house and I'm going away. And it's like no, that's not how to like set yourself up for retirement. That's that's not Yeah, I don't know, she she's a fascinating figure, but she also really like I, I'm not I have no unbiasedness. I have no chill when it comes to Sarah Jane as a figure because I not just associate her really close with my childhood because she was one of my absolute favourites as a companion. Yeah, but she also like the older she got, the more she reminded me of my mum and the kind of grandmother that my mother is. <laughs> so like, I, yeah, I'm quite emotionally compromised when it comes to Sarah Jane. Yeah, uh, yeah, but but such an interesting hero for children's television.
4: I find this interesting because I think, you know, you would assume that given the age range or age sort of group that it's for primarily, they're all going to be a bit younger than your average Doctor Who audience who are probably watching yeah. with their kids, I mean, with their parents. Um, and, you know, they might not be familiar with Sarah Jane and yet they do bring back so much stuff from Sarah Jane's era of the show, like The Brigadier, like Canine, like Joe Grant... Um, and how did, how did Jemima feel about those things that came back that she was probably not that familiar with?
5: Um, she was very cool with it, mainly because she has a pretty strong interest. She likes the meta. Hmm. Uh, she likes the history. It made her excited to go back and look at those things, whereas my eldest, who has a lot more of that knowledge and context, was just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's so-and-so. Like She quite liked in her you know, swanning through and, and being a slightly <laughs> too cool to watch the show. Yeah. She was like, oh, yeah, the Brigadier. I know who the Brigadier is. Particularly seeing the doctors turn up was really exciting yeah. for them. And that was the one where the whole family gathered for those... Those, those episodes. And
4: I was always impressed how good they were, because often when you get those crossovers with another show, it feels like, you know, there's a bit of tonal crash, which I think is why you don't see it very much in Torchwood. You know, the crossovers yeah. into Torchwood are very minor, like, um, you know, Martha turns up, but really she just becomes a character who the Torchwood people know, and she totally fits into their tone rather than bringing any Doctor Who tone with her. Um, and in... Sarah Jane, everybody who turns up, you know, it's a, it's a fun kids' show and they're having a fun time, you know, and the Doctor is having a fun time. And, and I think you're right, what you said earlier, is the ones where the Doctor turns up, they feel much more like really old school Doctor Who than modern they Doctor do. Who.
5: And you get the sense that he knows that and that's kind of awesome for him. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, old-fashioned, 25-minute episodes, let's go. Um, yeah. They are very awash with nostalgia as well, though. like mm. the the death of the Doctor is just so, like, oh. that one just, like, it, it fills and hurts my heart because it's so full of nostalgia. But it also raises, it does that thing of raising the questions that, you know, knew who did the classic who didn't, which is things like why doesn't he go back for them. Mm. I mean, Joe is heartbreaking in that story when she realises that the Doctor came back for Sarah Jane and didn't come back for her. Like, that's yeah. just like, oh, in the feels, oh. Um, and I think it works really well, as said, tonally for the show. It's an adventure show. It's fun. It does delve with a few kind of real-life dark issues, but it mm. balances out. It deals with ethics, I think. They're always meant, like, I think in some ways, like some of the aliens are questions and ethics around them. In some ways dealt with more complicated ways here in Sarah Jane than they are in, in the main show. Yeah. In doctor Who. Like, cause, because Sarah Jane has made a career, a second career, of cleaning up after the Doctor. <laughs> um, but, you know, just these things of, like, helping stranded aliens and sending them on their way. You know, it's not always about killing. Uh, there's always that thing of, like, well, do we... Do we? Just because we can make a Slovene blow up with vinegar, should we? Yeah, kind of just, just digging into the human side of it and how humans deal with this as opposed to how the doctor deals with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
4: I think there's, there's several themes that come up multiple times which I think are, are touching on what you're saying that with those more serious themes. And some of them are, it's not just about ethics though. I think, I think there's, no. there's also, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about um, growing old and what you do with your life like this seems to be a, a recurring theme with the episodes that focus on Sarah Jane you know like yes. the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith or goodbye Sarah Jane Smith as you were talking about um, or there's um, the temptation of Sarah Jane when she's you know she can go back in time and maybe save her parents or when her friend you know there's like one every episode where it's like let's explore Sarah's whole life and what she could do to change it um, Yeah, which I find quite fascinating
5: It is they really kind of Dig deep uh, in some of those stories, particularly the trickster ones, mm. and and those sort of yeah. But that they talk about it's her as not just her, but it's the thing of how you choose to spend your time and kind of be like those little um, uh, the voiceovers that they do, which are usually you know the universe is full of wonder. Mm. Let's rephrase that in some slightly different way every season, but that's really important too. It's that whole thing of being open to deciding what kind of person you are, are you the kind of person who helps or the kind of person who just sort of, you know, do, do you want to be somebody who has an extraordinary life and actually you can have an extraordinary life without... Because, you know, only a very small number of people get to travel in the TARDIS. Yeah. I think partly that's the message of this show and actually you can help out here at home, but the whole, like, there are wonders here at home as well. Is <sighs> it? Uh, it's a little bit cheesy, but it also, it's, it's quite a nice philosophy mm. and because so many of the stories are about about helping but also ultimately as well of like trusting your friends. Um, Family isn't necessarily just the people who you're sort of related to. I love all that, you know, the found family stuff and the people you rely on. So many of those stories revolve because another repeated trope, it's not always Sarah, is that thing of one of the characters being taken away from all the others um, and making some sort of terrible mistake, losing that connection. Uh, The... Uh, the curse The curse of Clyde Langer in the last season, oh
4: yeah,
5: oh Full my goodness on. and it's it's so hurtful to watch because the thing where he's cursed and and when anybody who hears his name basically starts to hate him, and so it 's not just that he 's like ostracized by friends and family, but they have this physical revulsion towards him, and it's just devastating to watch. Mm. But they did something very similar with Sarah Jane, where she in the previous previous season, where she had yeah the the, you know the the replacement Sarah Jane. There's a few different replacement Sarah Jane yeah. stories. Yeah. Um, Luke has nightmares. You know when he's about to leave for for Oxford, he starts having nightmares about being replaced. But ultimately, when he does get kind of replaced, in that a new foster kid comes along uh, to, to to replace him, it ends up being kind of a positive thing. But yeah, just I think it's really interesting how much there's that that Sense of, of trust and identity, and all these little things that just keep repeating. Um, yeah, I don't know, but, but the found family definitely, and just the thing of, of having friendships that cross. Cross borders, having people
4: you can trust, and, and, and yeah, yeah. I think one one of the other things we touched on in the in the live show was talking about how it shows quite a, a variety of family situations as well. Yes, you got you got Sarah who's a new single parent. You've got um, Alan and uh, Maria's mum whose name I've forgotten. Um, who you know who are separated but Chrissy. still co parenting. Chrissy, yes. And yes. then you've got Rani's parents who are still together and you, you sort of look at them and go, This kind of this like they're very different people, but you can totally see how they work together. Um,
5: I love that the reference to it's like my parents met in a museum and they're like, That doesn't sound like your mum. Yeah, it was raining. <laughs>
4: that just sums them up so yeah.
5: But they're great as well. And the fact that her dad is the headmaster and he's a really like strict, mean headmaster, and you see him at home and he's a total pussycat. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, this booby who's just like completely, um, you know, at the mercy of his daughter and and wife. He's actually really quite lovely, but he's very, very stern and strict at school. That's a really cool thing. Mm. You know, just that thing of like, this is what happens when your teachers
2: are
5: actually relaxed. Um, But yeah, Clyde's mum, who's a fantastic, again, example of a single mother who's done really well on her own and yes. his dad comes back and he's kind of useless. but And,
4: bo- and ab- um, abusive, really. I mean, the, the episode yeah. where he's abusive, it's kind of painted that this is, you know, this kind of an, a supernatural excuse for it. But at the same time, he's taking advantage of it on purpose and I thought that was a really, uh, it was kind of nuanced, actually. Um,
5: it was because there was a sense where how much of that was him and how much of that was the artefact that was affecting mm. him. But also Clyde going along with it because it was his dad and he wanted... His dad. So Clyde himself actually becomes kind of not that nice because he's kind of thinks his dad is funny, but then he starts realizing it's not. So, yeah, that's very ultimately, I think it came down to the side of the dad was kind of useless, but not actually evil, but definitely was better out of his life. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, He didn't need him. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So that was, that was really, and um, yeah. So, so yeah, you've got these, these different. Different things. And of course, there's the um, there are the actual evil parents or peril substitutes that come in as well. So you've got Mrs. Wormwood with Luke, mm, yes, who claims and and her equivalent with Sky in the last season, who I can't remember, but you yeah. know, um, Australian actress. It's like it's like I've seen her in Fast um, yes. but yeah, like this thing of the the alien kind of cl- claiming motherhood because they've created a child but very much that strong message in both cases that just because you made the child doesn't give you rights over the child if you know and, and to use the child if you don't actually you know not prepared to love and care for them mm. so it's like thing of you know the the adoption relationship is the one that's real it's seen as the one that in that case um you know there's 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 no sense that either of the adopted alien artificial children yeah owe any kind of obligation to the, the birth parents who kind of... Yeah. Yeah, in that sense, it's like, well, no, the, the, the now that they have found a family, they get to keep that family. Yeah. I, I think that's really important because actually having representation of adoption and that regardless of the history with the birth parent that adopted family is a real and important thing and just as true a family you know, without the blood connection. That is such an important message. Yeah. I love that the last story is one with Luke and Skye bonding as siblings who've never met before but they've both been taken in by this amazing woman mm. and they both, like, have friends in common. But they haven't met. And he's really kind of unsure at first because, like, you know, there's this new kid in his room. It's his actual nightmare come to to pass. But then he actually claims her as his sister when she's in danger and they bond over being kind of brilliant and, you know, getting into scrapes and having adventures and they're completely, like, in love with each other as family members. Like, they completely like, yes, I claim you, you're mine, uh, you're my sibling, that's it. Yeah. I That was just so cool and that they had that as the last story was really quite emotional. Yeah,
4: yeah. And her voiceover at the end, you know. Oh,
5: yeah. yeah. So sad. This is something, it's interesting because we talked
4: about this with Torchwood that I think Torchwood is a show that's much more about family whereas in Doctor Who it feels it's more about friendship. Like I don't feel like the Doctor and his companions really form a family so much as they form... I mean there's a couple of episodes where it feels a bit more like that but most of the time it feels like it's about friendship whereas in Torchwood they, it feels like you know these people really are stuck with each other and they're, they're family now and they're making the best of it and in a different way Sarah Jane is about all these different families in different configurations but it treats them all yeah. very equally which I think is wonderful. Yeah, like you were saying. It is.
5: It, it treats them equally and it, it's got like... The, it's it's got, like, quite interesting kind of diversity and stuff like mm. that. And, yeah, but it definitely it's the grounded family, whereas, yeah, Doctor Who's basically the gap year, you know, where you, you meet wild people who you may never see again and maybe meet some people who are going to be your friends for the rest of your life, but it's, like, what happens before you settle down? They did, you know, flirt with the Doctor Who idea, like, with things like with the ponds and with, you know, they've obviously dealt with family a lot more in New Who than they ever did in the classic yeah. show by the the regular returning. but. Yeah, I mean, bringing in Joe as well, that was really interesting as, like, well, this is her... Because we saw her family dynamic, uh, which was kind of hilarious, that she's got all these kids and all these grandkids and they're all off saving the world, yeah. which just felt so right, but all these sort of wild adventures and travels... Um, I did kind of want to kick things when she's just like, "Oh, have you not found a fella?" <laughs>
4: yeah, like, jo- but it, but you know what? That was so <laughs> Joe, though. That is something Joe would say. Yeah, although
5: it, it was very, jo- I, she was just so Joe yeah. in that, and so Katie Manning too. Like, mm. I love that they kind of fed what we know of Katie Manning as an actress into how elderly Grandma Joe would be. But she's so wonderful. I always did think, wouldn't it be interesting if you actually had one of these characters becoming the Doctor's companion? Mm. Of course, you could just pick one. It would have to be all of yes. them. But it's like, yeah. But And the other thing is, because I know that, like, they decided to cancel the show, even though, I mean, at the time it was such a successful show, yeah. it would be really interesting to see them, like, in 10 years' time do a, a Bannerman Road series in which, like, Rani is the, hmm. you know, the journalist who lives in the house and, and you know. Yeah. Like, it's you, you could potentially, I think, it had such an interesting format to it. But it's really hard to see it existing without Sarah Jane because she's such the hub of the show. Like if they'd made another season, it would be like, oh, yes, Sarah's gone off to Peru, uh, which is like the equivalent of Brisbane in Neighbours.
4: Yeah, it's (laughs) where the Brigadier always goes when nobody can find him, you know.
5: Exactly. Like he, he went to Peru about three different times in the Sarah Jane adventures.
4: But yeah, why would you call the Brigadier? I mean, he's retired, but he knows all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, he's busy. He's got stuff going on.
5: One of the things I think that Sarah Jane Adventures did for the Doctor Who universe, which I think actually better in some ways than the Doctor Who universe did, because in the RTD era we had this odd thing where Earth kept getting invaded by aliens. Then after a while they're like, well, we don't really want to tell this. And so they sort of kept pretending like people had forgotten or mass hysteria and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah,
4: bringing back that whole...
5: Sarah Jane Adventures actually did a bit more to look at what would the world look like if people actually acknowledge that yeah earth gets invaded by aliens every few years and they did start to play with that idea that well yeah everybody knows about the daleks everyone remembers that yeah i found that aspect really interesting the other thing is sarah jane who's a top notch as we find out you know very very successful journalist spends half her time making up fake stories to cover up alien (laughs) conspiracy she invented fake
4: news oh my god this is she. wow we did not see Um, that coming
5: because, you know, watching through, I'm just like, wow, we never, we so rarely see her actually doing her job for the sake of her job. Mm. Most of the time, she's pretending to be a journalist to find out the alien thing. She and Mr. Smith are off spreading their, um, you know, their cover up stories with great glee. And in the last season, there's a reference to, oh, I'm actually like a top flight award winning journalist. Who do you think, what do you think pays for this house? I get invited to fancy functions and the kids are all really surprised. It's like, well, I'm not surprised that they're surprised because frankly all they've seen you doing is making up pretendy newspaper stories to hide the latest Sontaran invasion. um,
4: For me, um, I mean you talked about um, at the start you were talking about how this this implication that Sarah Jane really regrets not being with the Doctor in in, in maybe in a romantic way uh, as it's sometimes (laughs) suggested. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. But I found even worse, I found the idea that, after she left him she didn't do anything with her life until he came oh, I back i am
5: so angry about that like i when i watch school reunion i mentally edit it only takes about 3 lines of dialogue you have to mentally edit the yeah. episode to make it <laughs> that's okay that's true because the rest of it is great but yeah the implication that no other man stood up to the doctor is like, i'm sorry like have you met tom baker yeah. I just, I don't see him ruining women for other men. I just don't see that. Um, The TARDIS maybe, but... One thing
4: thing we didn't talk about the live show um, very much was Sarah Jane's kind of arsenal of gadgetry which is quite, yes. like, it's, it's intense in, in Sarah Jane Adventures. Like, she's got a sonic lipstick. She's got canine, although he's not obviously involved that often because he's in a safe protecting a black hole. What a weird thing. For a while. Um, he,
5: until they find someone to eat the black hole. Yeah,
4: and, and then yeah. he can, you know, pop out and join them occasionally. Uh, and then also she's got Mr. Smith, the, um, the yeah. computer. How do you feel about Mr. Smith? What do you think of him?
5: Oh, look, I I adore Mr. Smith. I think he's great. My favourite thing, of course, about Mr. Smith is somewhere around, I think it's season three, when there's a reference that makes it clear that Mr. Smith can open without... The the music we hear, the operatic music we hear whenever Mr. Smith opens Mm. uh, is actually happening in show. They hear the music every time because this one time Luke asked him to do it quietly and he does it quietly. And it's like... Oh my goodness, he's just so—he's um, outrageous. Yeah, he is. But he's great. His relationship with K Nine is one of my favorite relationships, <laughs> possibly. Like, yeah. it's just so—it's so lovely. It's just a brilliant double act. Mm. Just their their quiet jealousy and sniping of each other over over Sarah Jane, uh, the Sonic lipstick. Ah, oh, I just remember I was quite. Outraged about the sonic lipstick when it first came out. And I know a lot of people who were just like eye-rolly about it because it's just such a girly artifact. The idea that the doctor would even know what lipstick is, frankly, because (laughs) like actually, no, I like the idea that he knows what lipstick is. And he's like, well, that's a good thing to like turn into a sonic thing, because obviously nobody would actually use it to paint their face with. Um and it was like, you know, she's a journalist, why isn't it a pen? I get that. At the same time, watching it through this time, I did find the sonic lipstick quite empowering. Mm. Uh, my favourite bit of the whole, it, this, this amazing is the um, the scientist from the Pharos um, the, the, the Institute who turns up occasionally, again, very convenient, this contact. There's like one scene in which she and Sarah have had a conversation and Sarah leaves and then the scientist is just like playing with her own lipstick and pretending it's a sonic lipstick. Oh, yeah. And going, pew, pew. <laughs> And I'm just like, that's just so amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I like the fact that she has the gear. There are quite a few moments in this show that made me feel that Phil Ford and the other writers all really, really liked the Avengers and in particular the new Avengers. There's just like a bit of aesthetic about it, which is just a little bit, it's got that style, you know. It's it's just that 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 bit. Of, and, and Sarah Jane particularly as this figure who walks in, and she has the cute car, and she always has amazing clothes. Like, she dresses very elegantly. She has such poise and such archness, mm. uh, and she's got the gear, and she gets things done. And She doesn't
4: take any guff. But
5: there's just that, you know, that very British charm of... That's the other thing, isn't it? It's not just Sarah Jane being the Doctor figure, because this is the closest thing we have in um, official BBC production mm. with, like, a woman taking the place of... Um, a doctorish type figure, yeah, true. Yeah, if you don't count Night Terrace, which obviously that's we very should kind of be mention, um, yes. But you know what I mean. This is the time we get a female doctor. She's she's the lead character. She's got the know-how. She's just slightly smarter and slightly cooler than everybody else. That that's yeah. it. Uh, I love the way that she kind of is aware that she's that character. There's that sense that yes, she walks in and she's got this confidence, and it does. It reminds me of Diana Rigg as Mrs. Peel. Yeah. Um, just this confidence as she walks into a room. And seeing a woman who is, we have to stop and remind ourselves over and over again she was in her 60s when she did mm. this, um, which doesn't seem remotely believable because she still looks, you yeah. know. Yeah, So, so young. And her attic is such a lovely space. Uh, it's sort of the heart of the show. It's such a, it's the equivalent of the TARDIS. It's this lovely warm room. It's full of all her her artefacts, her memories, it's got all the little callbacks to the unit days mm. and it has, a, it has a very warm domestic feel to it but it's also a, a tribute to all her past adventures and her competence. It's, who, it's where her gear is kept. The fact that the kids have her trust and so they can waltz in mm. and ask Mr Smith to, you know, bug her car uh, to find out <laughs> that she has a new boyfriend and things like that. There's this lovely openness that they all share that space that nobody else does. Like, nobody else can go up into that, that it's only her companions and her, really. Um, Everybody else just sees the ordinary living room downstairs. Can
4: we go through the different characters and just sort of talk about how we feel about them? Because I... My favourite is Clyde and I am so happy that oh, he ends up yeah. being the character who's there for the longest and becomes really the, the main audience identification character. You know, they get him to be yeah. the one who does the narration when it's no longer Sarah Jane and uh, he's the one who's like, an, you know, the ordinary person. He's not, he's not the super smart kid at school who always figures things out and he's not, uh, but he's not, he's not useless either. Um, and once he's yeah. had some adventures, he obviously gets better at it um, he's not stupid, um, but it's it, he's sort of like you know you don't have to be a genius like Luke or have done this for thirty years like Sarah Jane. You can still yeah. contribute or be you know like a crack reporter like Rani.
5: It's it's interesting, isn't it? He's very much um, yeah. He, he's almost he's like he's like the Xander character from Buffy. You know, he's like the comic relief, but he has this. Depth to him, and he's a very, I mean, he's a very good actor, yeah. Uh, especially considering his age, but he's just, he's a very compelling character. The fact that from season three he's the focal point of the credits is really kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. and and the fact like we see these hints of the potential life he could have had, the fact that his dad is a bit of a waster, you know, and and he admits a couple of times that he kind of thought he was going to go that way Mm. too. He's never had much in the way of academic ambition but more and more encouraged by his more intellectual friends. Um, And by Sarah Jane, he has this support in his artwork, which he's really kind of investing a lot of himself in. um, Which is
4: a really nice sort of non-traditionally masculine thing for him to get into as well.
5: When we first met him... He was kind of put off by Luke. There were the jokes about, like, he kind of wanted to be a cool kid. He's the kid that mucks up at school because it's entertaining. And then he gets all this energy channeled into Aliens and Saving the World. He doesn't have time to be a screw-up anymore. The fact that he's a young black guy in Britain is never kind of explicitly mentioned, and yet it's kind of very... Much kind of there in the narrative. Yeah, they've made
4: the choice to have Um, him be the character who's, you know, his parents clearly got a bit less money and, yeah.
5: Yeah, but also just like, for instance, the one where everybody's being awful to him. It's like suddenly you're seeing this, you know, young black teenager being yelled at by everybody and thrown off and ends up living on the streets and it's just, oh, just awful. So, yeah, he's the character who kind of has the most really to grow and so it's hard not to be really, really invested in him.
4: Yeah, that's true.
5: Because Rani just kind of, and Maria as well, they're both kind of just kids that really have themselves together. Like it's kind of the Hermione um, Mm. problem in a sense, which is when you have a group of characters and the girl is the one that's really kind of capable and with it, it and competent already, it kind of means they don't get the character growth. Yeah, which is a shame because in some ways, but then it's like, well, you can't really argue with having a really cool, competent female character in the show. Mm. But, yeah, it does mean that the, the boy that's a bit of a screw-off is kind of the one who has more space to grow and therefore be more interesting. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Rani is great. I love her. I love the fact that she idolises Sarah Jane. Yes. Like, Maria just kind of wants to be friends with her and see aliens, but Rani has this very, you know, I want to be a journalist, I want to do this. And even, like, the episode that ended up being the last story, which is really most, mostly about Sarah and particularly about Luke and Skye, uh, but Rani and Clyde, who are left out of the family outing, end up, like, having this sort of wacky hijinks uh, 1930s rom-com kind yeah. of, um, you know. Hey, let's let's pretend to be journalists and let's do this. And you know, one last screwball comedy um, adventure. I, I love that. I love that. There's like costumes and stuff. Their friendship is so yeah. cool. Yeah. Do
4: you think? Do you think uh, it was just a friendship? Yeah. Do you think they were kind of setting them up to be romantic interests for each other, or you think that that wasn't really happening?
5: I don't. Know. I think they clearly were signalling that. Like it's you can't. You can't argue that they weren't signalling that that was something that they were both kind of circling around. Yeah,
4: because I ship them, I must Um, say, I do.
5: Yeah, they are adorable. I like Ronnie and Claire, but I also like them as friends. I like their friendship and how cool it is. I could see they could have taken it in a romantic direction and there were those little hints that they were both kind of Aware that that was a possibility. But mm. it was so cute, like the kind of like occasionally awkwardly saying things and then like staring at each other and running away. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yeah,
4: Crash. super cute.
5: That's that, That's really great. So, yeah, I, I I think that's clearly a thing that they were playing with the idea and they might have gone further mm. with it, but yeah.
4: Um, and Maria, obviously, she's, she's not around for very long. Um,
5: oh, but she was so good when she was there. Yeah, you're a big fan <laughs> of Maria? She's very compelling. Yeah. I was, like right from the start. Like she's our, she's our identification character from the beginning the friendship she has with Sarah Jane and to some extent with, with Luke too. Like really the first season, Clyde and Luke like they they connect and stuff, but really Maria and Luke's friendship is kind of the the main yes. and, and her friendship with Sarah Jane. Her relationship with her dad is so likable. Uh, yeah, I really like Maria a lot and I was surprised actually at how quickly she was gone because it felt like she was there for longer the first time round. Mm. Uh, but as soon as Rani turns up, I'm like, yeah, no, that's fine. Rani's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I like that they keep up references to Maria. And same with, like, when Luke's gone, he's not, like, completely gone. He he Skypes in. Yeah. Uh, that, that fact that they're not losing the people, that they, like, even after, like, she only has makes one more appearance as Maria, but there are references to the fact that Luke keeps emailing her. Yeah. Um, that even Clyde has sort of kept up a connection that they have this friend who, uh, yeah, I like that because so often in shows, you know, characters get written out and they're never yeah, they mentioned again. go to Queensland again.
4: and you never see them again in Neighbours. You know? I know. And you like, they're only yeah. in Queensland. I think that, that makes it feel like a very modern show, even though, as we were saying before, it does feel dated in its visual style much in the same way that doctor who did yeah. when it first came back it feels modern because you know they do they keep in touch via you know skype the
5: fact that luke is still skyping you know that they're connected to him and keeping in touch mm. and later on like he's only like an hour down the road and i'm like why isn't he there like at weekends more often my goodness he should be bringing the there should be a whole episode just around him bringing his laundry yeah
4: out. yeah and what about uh, yeah Bad, and speaking uh, yeah. Of, of of luke and sky luke uh, you know, both aliens who become Sarah Jane's adopted yeah. children. What, what do we think about them? Is that is that a cool idea? I mean, I kind of really liked Luke when he turned up.
5: Uh, I, I think Luke is a great character. Uh, he's got so much potential. Uh, and, and have they played the, the fact he's the boy genius, mm. but he doesn't really know. It's a classic trope, but he doesn't really know how real life works. Mm. It has a lot of pos- uh, possibility for comedy. His and Clyde's friendship is just so sweet. Yes, uh, and, and, you know, he's and Maria's too, but particularly his, his and Clyde's and to some extent with, with Rani too. I love that Luke clearly ships Clyde and Rani. Yes. Uh, to the point where he, like, creates the like the, the name Clarny and stuff. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's such, he's, he's very, and his relationship with Sarah is just amazing. Like that whole thing of them both kind of attaching themselves to each other as family, her giving him, her going from being somebody who wouldn't even say hello to the new neighbours to somebody who gives this kid at home and it's not like even though they kind of occasionally hint at it it's not that she seemed to have a burning desire to be a mother she was quite happy i think regardless of the occasional ridiculous line about the doctor you know Mm. uh ruining all all other things for her so she never had a husband and children whatever i don't think she ever particularly wanted that motherly thing and that's what's so interesting about it like somebody who isn't remotely maternal having to figure out how to do it. Yeah. The the fact of them being an alien and potentially being something that can be used as a weapon is really important too because, of course, the trouble with adults and kids in action shows is, and it's raised a couple of times, the fact that Sarah has the kids along with her, is she endangering yeah. them? You know, it's the old X-Men, uh, you know, should we train the teenage superheroes kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> story thing. But in fact, both Luke, like there's a couple of instances where Luke is – in danger and stuff because of who he is. Mm. And therefore she has to protect him. So really she has to keep him close at all times. Mm. Uh, Same with Sky. I mean, Skye has this fascinating... And I was reading up about where they were going to go with Sky. Like they had a lot of potential interesting of her, the fact that she was designed as a weapon. Yeah, so she's basically going to have superpowers,
4: wasn't she, more or less?
5: Yeah, well, she she had that thing of like the affecting the power, which was great. I love that Clyde called her Sparky. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the bringing in the new young kid could be awful, and it often is in shows, mm. but Skye was a really great addition. Uh, I like that she had this different relationship with everyone. You know, the fact that in the the Curse of Clyde Langer story, she's the only one who isn't affected by it, so she's like, why are you all being so mean to this person? And, but she had that same thing that Luke had, which... Really useful narrative device because they ask the obvious questions. Because, yeah. like, he comes off as quite stilted sometimes, Luke, but I actually think that's – I'm assuming it's an acting choice mm. because he is just that little bit shut out of the world. Yeah,
4: and it comes across – I think it works really great. And I, I do – i yeah. like you, I love that relationship between Clyde and Luke uh, because they do. They yeah. have those conversations that – I think it's really good modelling for like younger... But This is something I do in some of my work and I yes. talk to, to boys about being able to talk about your feelings and having close friendships and it's such a beautiful, yeah. wonderful model of a, a close, caring friendship between two young men, um, which I think is yeah. so important.
5: And the fact that they keep up that friendship, again, like with Maria, the fact they keep, keep up the, that friendship mm. after Luke leaves is really important because that's something I know that, like, my kids are coming having to deal with that thing of what happens if you go to a different school, as your friends, how do you stay in contact? Yeah. There's so many ways to stay in contact with friends like online and stuff So now. it's
4: easier now, yeah. But it's still,
5: it's easier but it also still requires work and it requires emotional yeah. work. And that's not always in the past, the emotional work is not necessarily something that has been expected of young men mm. and so, you know, that, that thing where, so I like that. I like the fact that they keep up the friendship and that they're still um, connecting Of course, we missed out on some opportunities as well. I remember reading that they'd said that in one of the plans for probably that season that they never got to finish was that they were going to mention really casually that Luke had a boyfriend
4: Oh, yeah, I did hear about that, Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah, things like that. Again, it's like, well, diversity and representation was always something that was not just something at the forefront of the people making the show but of like... CBBC generally, like it's one of those things they're trying to promote in their shows and they had a really strong plan to basically really casually have it. They weren't (laughs) going to have a big gay crisis episode or anything. It was just going to be a thing. And it's a shame that was an opportunity lost just because it was such a high-profile show at the time and it would have been a really great precedent
4: I think the interesting thing would have been if he'd come back to visit and brought his boyfriend with him because I think the dynamic, yeah. it wouldn't have been that Clyde was like, I'm freaked out because you're gay. It would have been like, oh, you've got a boyfriend now. That means there's like some other guy in your life is more important than me. That actually
5: would have been awesome. Yeah. Like Clyde Clyde being kind of jealous because that's so in character. Yeah, it would have been perfect. Bringing the boyfriend home to meet Sarah Jane, Oh, that would have been interesting I mean, dynamic your too. First, your first boyfriend or girlfriend home to meet your mum is kind of a thing. But she, because yeah, she wouldn't know how to handle it no, either. And, and with like, her history of the know,
4: relationship, she would be like, "I don't, I can't give you any advice."
5: <laughs> yeah, and you know, to be fair. I think all of them would have at least 50% in the back of their mind, what if this dude is evil? Yeah. Let's could he be
4: it. an alien? It um, could be. He could be a yeah, robot. It could like, happen.
5: Can you imagine he's like, you know, trying to like introduce his boyfriend to his mum and Clyde and Rani are like hijinking in the background, trying to check if this guy is a robot duplicate. Yeah. And it's like, well, what if he's a Slovene? It's like, well, you know.
4: Sarah Jane's <laughs> scanning him with her watch surreptitiously while he's making tea or something. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I, I kind of I think that would be that great. would have been great, and I yeah. yeah, it's like oh that's the that's the missing episode of my heart yeah. that I would have loved to see. Although we know that like canine would totally be onto that.
4: Yes, that's true.
5: And now I'm worried about the idea of like canine like um, you know uh, pre-checking his Tinder or something. Oh, no, it's like not not that one, Master Luke. No. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I want to finish up by asking you, you know, if you want to sum up Sarah Jane Adventures, you know, what is it about the show that you think really sums it up that makes you love it?
5: Oh, it's very much about growing up with family and being able to trust family but also that found family. It's those friends in your life who... Are more than friends, you know, they're they have you oh, that that is like that emotional stuff when everybody's just kind of quietly hanging out in the attic together or having tea after a big adventure and everybody's back and in one piece and they're all happy. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know, I mean, one of the things that I think the show did brilliantly is things like uh, Ronnie's parents going to the like alien support group <laughs> because clearly there are aliens. Because, like, they've been on TV and everything and they've seen enough and the fact that they end up, like, going to an alien support group to deal with it and her dad's there just, like, really annoyed at the universe, that the universe has brought him to a place where he has to go to an alien support group with his wife. Um, it's the comedy, like, that, that just that humour, the real-life kind of humour of family and kind of realistic, dramatic moments but with aliens.
4: <laughs> I think that's a brilliant... We
5: just, just good. You know, it's domestic. It's all a bit domestic, as, as the Ninth Doctor said, and I love it. I love domestic with aliens. I think it's just such a lovely juxtaposition. And this show did it so well, and I would love to see lots of children's entertainment out there that use this as their model because it's a really nice one.
4: Yeah, I agree look Tansy thank you so much for talking to us it's always a delight and all the best with Verity and everything
0: else thank you it's always nice to be a Splendid Chap you have been listening to Splendid Chaps we'd like to thank this episode Splendid Chaps Dr Joyne Baker George Ivanoff and Tansy Rainer Roberts your hosts were Ben McKenzie John Richards and me Petra Elliott the audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Holt Studios. Find out more about Splendor Chaps Productions, including the original time travel comedy Night Terrace, at SplendorChaps.com. Or follow us as Splendor Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. There's more Splendor Chaps spin-off discussion coming up in Part 3, where we'll talk all about the newest and shortest-lived modern spin-off, Class. So, until then, thank you, it's good, keep warm. Also available from Splendor Chaps Productions, Night Terrace, a sci-fi comedy audio series. How much do you know about the uncertainty principle? I'm not sure. I don't want you to panic. But, well, why aren't you panicking? You told us not to panic. Because I thought you would panic. But we didn't, because you told us not to. Well, you should panic.
4: I have no idea what's going
0: on. Oh, just ignore Eddie. He doesn't really get time travel.
4: Hey, we haven't all spent decades working for a shadowy government agency saving the world.
0: That much was obvious. To hear more, visit nightterrace.com.
4: Well, that was a disappointingly short adventure.